As the pastor said in his introduction, I'm really uh, more of a small group leader, a Sunday school teacher. I'd prefer to be in a Sunday school class teaching a group of about 10 than in a, on a stage like this. One guy came up to me after the first service. He said, you know, you're not as bad as you said you were going to be. <laughs> so I appreciate that. But uh, at any rate, I'd like to start with a, a, a question today. And, uh, and, and we're going to wrap our minds around this question during, during this half hour. And that is this Christian living, easy or hard? Let me get a response from you real quick. I'm going to ask it again to get you to re respond. Y'all ready? Is Christian living easy or hard? All right, that's what everybody says. Let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, my yoke is Jesus said, my yoke is Jesus said, in essence, Christian living following me will be easy. That's what Jesus said. But the experience of everybody I know is that Christian living is hard. And uh, I wanted us to talk about that and talk about how Christian living can become a little easier. And why is Christian living so hard? There is a common perception. One of the reasons I think Christian living is so hard is because there's a common perception inside and outside the church that Christian living is fundamentally about trying really hard to be good. And uh, this is so ingrained in us that, uh, that it's, it, it, it's hard for us to get past it. In fact, I was teaching on this last week, and I don't know if you ever do this, Pastor, you probably don't, but every now and then I'll say something that is blatantly false. And in fact, I'll have a slide up here that's blatantly untrue, and I hope people will catch it. I actually train people, I've trained my, my people that I'll put a slide up there that's wrong, wrong and I want them to go, eh. And last week I put a slide up there that was wrong, and they said, Amen. And I said, we got to go back to the drawing board. I put the slide up there said, this is fundamentally what Christian living is about. Read the Bible. Don't say him in here, okay? I said last week, read the Bible and do what it says. And some of my people said, amen, that's what Christian living is about. Read the Bible, do what it says, try really hard to be good. Here's the standard. The Bible says to pray. I'm going to try really hard to pray. The Bible says to serve. I'm going to try really hard to serve. The Bible says to forgive. I'm going to try really hard to forgive. The Bible says to give. I'm going to try really hard to give. I'm going to just try really hard. And that's what a lot of people, certainly outside the church, and truth be told, a lot of us inside the church think that that's fundamentally what Christian living is about. And if that is what you think it is about. I got some really good news for you. Uh, I think some lights are going to come on for you in, in the next half an hour or so. And Christian living is going to start becoming a lot, a whole lot easier because there is more to Christian living than trying really hard to be good. There is a lot more to Christian living than trying really hard to be good. And it's not only my perception, but uh, the perception of smart people. Uh, one of those being Charles Stanley. He says, for too many believers, Christian life boils down simply to doing the best they can. That's what a lot of people think it's about. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be sexually pure. I'm trying to give. I'm trying to come to church regularly. I'm trying not to cuss. I'm trying to do this, that, and the, the, the other. There's no power, no distinction that sets them apart from everyone else, uh, the way everyone in the, else uh, lives. Uh, the good that they can do can be attributed to their own discipline, determination, and devotion to God rather than his activity in their lives. And Charles Stanley goes on to explain how this was true of him for many, many years. And that he, he was one of those people, is one of those people, people that just naturally kind of like to get up early and eat his vegetables and exercise and so on. And by the way, don't you hate people like that? 
And, uh, but he said, he just, just, you know, there's certain small percentage of people that, that they, they just that way. And he said he was that way. And so they told him to give and he gave and they told him to read his Bible and he read it, read his Bible. And they told him to pray and he prayed and they told him to come to church and he came to church and he thought I can do this. But what he realized is this, he wasn't living the Christian life at all. He was just becoming a first class Pharisee. The people for whom Jesus reserved his most scathing rebuke. And that's all Charles Stanley, by his own testimony, had become. He had become one who was just a religious person, not a Christian person, not a spirit-filled person, but just a, uh, a, a religious uh, person. I, I believe, he said, I meet believers all the time whose doctrine can be summarized in two statements. Nobody's perfect. I know how to read, but I don't read the Bible as much as I ought to, but you know, God understands. I know I ought to pray and I don't pray as much as I ought to, but God understands. And I know I ought to give and, and, and I know I ought to do this and I know I ought to do that, but you know, thank God we, we, we believe in, 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 in forgiveness. And truth be told, Christian living is either easy or impossible. It is easy because as Charles Stanley says in this book, the Holy Spirit comes to live his life in you. And it becomes a whole lot easier. And truth be told, it's true in lots of arenas in life. Uh, anybody ever tried ice skating? Was it easy or hard? You ever talk to somebody who can actually ice skate? You ice skate? Just try it once. No? Okay, just try it once. All right, very good. Uh, well, if you, if, you, if you talk to someone who actually ice skates and you say, is, is ice skating easy or hard? It's It's easy. You just strap on your skates and slide around. And uh, anything that you're able to do. I was watching a tennis match the other, uh, other day. I forget the guy who's playing Djokovic. He's got a French name, kind of hard to pronounce. Anyway, uh, the, the commentators said about him, they said something like, he, just, he hits that forehand in such a way, it just makes it look so easy. Is it easy to hit a ball as hard as you can stroke a ball, as hard as you can, and it starts this high, and it's got to clear something this high, and it's got to end up in the, in, in the court? Is that easy or hard? Well, it starts this high, and it's got to clear something this high, and somehow it's got to go down, and you're going to hit it as hard as you can. You would think that it would go long, and it will if you don't figure out how to do it. And if you don't know how to hit a tennis ball, it's really hard. But he said, this commentator said about this tennis player, he makes it look so easy. And that's true of lots of things in this life. And it's also true of Christian living, that once you figure out how to do it, some of you have already experienced this. Part of what it means is not all of what it means, but part of what it means to live the Christian life is we come to church every week. That's just pretty much whatever, what Christians do. And for many of you, uh, if I ask you, is it hard to come to church every week? For most of you, you'd say, you know what? It has been a long time since I got up on a Sunday morning. And for, in fact, for, for many of you, like me, I was raised this way. And so you would say, there has never, ever been a single Sunday in my life, that would be my testimony, that I got up on a Sunday morning and I thought, huh, I want to go to church. I mean, they pay me to go to church, so, you know, I kind of got to be there. Uh, but, uh, but, 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 you know, I'm, I've missed occasionally, but, but for a lot of us, we made that decision a long time ago, and we trained ourselves, and it's gotten to be such a habit that that's easy. And what, my, what I want to get at is that can be true of much of Christian living. And so Christian living is either easy or it is impossible. If you come to live it, it really is easy. And there's more to Christian living than trying really hard to be good. And with all due respect to Charles Stanley, who read this, wrote this book on, on uh, the spirit-filled life, there is more to Christian living than being filled with a spirit. 
And it's possible to hear a message on the spirit-filled life and saying, okay, that, I got it now. That's it. That, that's the missing ingredient. That's what, I, I've got I've to do what he said to be filled with, with, with the spirit. Well, actually, uh, for a couple of years, a couple of years back, for about a year, a couple of years ago, I started reading through the New Testament looking for how do we live the Christian life? How do you do it? Um, and, and, and what I discovered is, although it can be easy, it is a little bit complicated because I found these 15 principles, laws by which God changes us. And let me just, we're not going to talk about all of them just to, to, to point out there's more to it than what we're going to talk about today. But, but uh, Charles Stanley talked about the law of the Holy Spirit that you, you have. One thing I don't have up here is you, you, the Bible teaches you must be born again. And uh, if that's never really uh, become clear to you, let me, let me uh, uh, clarify that issue real, real quick, quick. The Bible teaches that we are uh, born in our sin, that we're born far from God. We're born with a tendency from sin. Anybody who's a parent, did your, did your children naturally tell the truth or did you have to, did you have to teach any of your kids to lie? <laughs> we, just, we just come into this world with a bent towards sin. But the Bible teaches that God loves us and if we ask him, he will forgive us. And that process is it's called becoming born again. That's not on the list here, but that's one, one thing we would add to it. But Charles Stanley has his whole uh, book on how to live the spirit-filled life. And you, if you do not have a working knowledge of how to live the spirit-filled life, Google it. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that today, but that is really, really important. My point is all of these things are important and you have to have a, a, a somewhat of a mastery about all these things. And I think this is why one of the reasons why Christian living is hard for little people, even though Jesus said it was going to be, get, get easy. And, and in spite of that, it is a little bit complicated. And so we're not going to talk today about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about another aspect up here, and that is uh, training. The Bible says, train yourself to be godly, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Can we say it together? Train yourself to be godly, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Let's say it together. Train yourself to be godly, 1 Timothy 4, 7. All the ladies? Men, can you do better than that? Train yourself to be godly, 1 Timothy 4, 7. All together, train yourself to be godly, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Similar cross-reference, one of the things, a little tip for teachers, whenever you teach, you do well to ask, what else does the Bible say about this? What is a cross-reference? And one we have here is, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. The underlying Greek word is actually a different word, but it has essentially this, the same meaning. It is an athletic term, uh, and, and it has to do with the idea of using athletic me metaphor. If we were, and if you're my age and up, this may not be possible, so let's imagine you're 30 years old, and you're in reasonably good health, and you decided you wanted to run a marathon. Could you do it? I said, I, I want you to go out and run a marathon. What if I offered you a million dollars to run a marathon tomorrow morning? You think you could do it? <laughs> it's 26 miles. We may keep it up, right? What if I said, all right, I want you to run a marathon a year from now. And I want you to train yourself every day, six days a week. I want you to rest one day, but six days a week, I want you to train yourself. And so on, on day one, week one, you're going to run a quarter of a mile a day. And week two, you're going to run half a mile a day. And week three, you're going to run a mile a day. And week four, you're going to run two miles a day. And every now and then, you're going to double what your normal is. All right? So, so you're, you know, when you're on, at that two-mile-a-day pace, every now and then, you're going to run like five miles. 
And then when you get to doing five miles a day, once in a while, you're going to do 10 miles. You're going to go kind of, kind of crazy. And you're going to work your way up. And if you're 30 years old, could you run um, and you're reasonably healthy, re normally athletic kind of, kind, of, kind of person, could you run a marathon a year from now? Could you do it? Yeah, or that's the idea of training, okay? It's the idea of breaking down this big task. So you take the big task of godliness and we say, what are the individual components of godliness? Well, godliness means I'm going to be a prayer guy. I'm going to guy or gal. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a server, and so so on, so on, so on. We discover what it means to be a godly person, and then with each one of those categories, I'm going to come up with some stuff that I could work on in that uh, in, in that direction in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not today's sermon, but another sermon we would deal with another time, and we could get there there if we worked on it that way. So let me give you not a a, a, a uh, athletic example, but let me give you a musical example, all right? And so the question I would like to ask you is, how many of you could come to this piano right now and play for us Amazing Grace at, on the piano? Anybody? Got a, got a few of them, all right? Um, uh, what, what if I offered you a million dollars to play Amazing Grace? I said, if you, if you, you can, and you've let's say you've never touched the piano keys before. And I said, if you can get through amazing grace and we can recognize the tune, I'll give you a million bucks. Now, what if I said, all right, now, okay, now try, try really hard. See, the point is in many arenas in life and Christian living is one of them, no matter how hard you try, just seeing that high and holy goal up there and saying, I'm going to try really hard. You're never going to get there. And the Bible says it offers a path and the path is train yourself in that direction. And so uh, what if instead of uh, uh, trying really hard to play Amazing Grace, what if you trained yourself to play Amazing Grace? What would that look like? Well, it might look like this. I had a lady piano player, maybe the piano player here, I don't know. But anyway, she told me after the first service, it's not the way she learned it, but this is the way I learned it. So we're going we're gonna to learn how to play uh, how, what that training might look like. And so we're going to start by numbering your fingers, all right? Could you hold your hands up like this? All right. So the thumbs, everybody wiggle, wiggle your thumb. That's number one. Everybody say number one. All right. And this, your uh, pointer finger, that's number two. Got that one. The middle finger, that's number three. And the fourth finger is number four. And if you're actually playing along with you, some, some of you are not playing along with me. I can see you, all right? If you're not playing along with me, you didn't learn, you missed a learning just now. And that is if you're actually playing along with me and you tried to move that fourth finger, you felt it. That, that finger is by far and away the weakest. You might think the pinky would be the weak, weakest, but it's actually that finger. And you, a skilled piano player would tell you, you're going to have to work extra hard on that finger right there. And, and, and it's, you're always going to struggle with it. It's just the nature of the anatomy of the hand. All right. So now take your left hand and put it on your hand. Okay. I'm going to keep working on the right hand. And we're going to work not on Amazing Grace, but we're going to work on... Uh, Mary had a lamb, and the reason we're going to work on Mary had a lamb is because you can play the whole song, thing and you don't have to move your hand, all right? So if we're actually at the piano, we will put our thumb on C. I'll show you where that is. So C and the next is D, E, F, G, G like that. You just put your hands right, right there in the same place, and they're never going to have to go anywhere, all right? So we're just, and then we're going to go by numbers, all right? So you, you put your hands here, and you could hit, hit the middle note. That's the E. That's the three in your hand. That's this one right here. So we're going to go three, two, one, two, three, three, three. Can you do that with me? 
Three, two, one, two, three, three, three. Do it again. Three, two, one, two, three, three, three. Do it again. Three, two, one, two, three, three, three. Do it again. Three, two, one, two, three, three, three. Do it again. Three, two, one, two, three, three, three. Now, one of the aspects of training is you do it more often than you think is necessary. Because you want to do it not until you get it right, but you want to do it so many times that you can't get it wrong. And what happens in your mind, something actually changes in your brain so that your brain, instead of seeing that as eight things or however many it was and notes that, that, that were, uh, your brain sees that whole chunk as one thing. And so we do chunk number one, chunk number two, chunk number three, chunk number four, and then it, your brain will get where it'll see all of that as one thing. And so in, from the viewpoint of your mind, you're just doing one thing and then you can get your left hand to do something else. And I can think about my left hand doing something else because all of this is now kind of on autopilot. All right, so let's, let's, let's do that first part again. You ready? Three, two, one, two, three, three, three. Do it again. Three, two, one, two, three, three, three. Are y'all playing along with me? I hear you a little, a little louder this time. You ready? All right, second part. Uh, Two, 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 three, five, five. You ready? Two, 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 three, five, five. Do it again. Two, 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 three, five, five. I got a lot of fuddy duddies in here that are not playing along with me. But that's all right. I still love you. All right. Let's do one more time. Two, 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 three, five, five. All right. Now, the good news is the third part is just like the first part. Okay? So we're going to do the first part and the second part, and then we're going to do the first part again, which is the same as the third part. Are we ready? Three, two, one, two, three, 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 two, 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 three, five, five, three, two, one, two, three, three, three. All right, last part is the most difficult, but we're working on this. So three, two, two, three, two, one. Let's do that. Three, two, two, three, two, one. All right, you ready to do the whole thing? All right. Three, two, one, two, three, 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 two, two, two. Three, five, five, three, two, one, two, three, 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 two, two, three, two, one. Give yourself a big hand. Woohoo! All right, you did good. Now, if you worked with a skilled piano player, what they would do is they would give you, uh, that, work with you on that sh song, show you how to do it. Then they would give you 10 more songs and, uh, that work the same way. And you look at the fingering, numberings uh, up there and so on. And they'd ask you to work on that for 30 minutes or an hour a day. All right, and you come back next week and you can play through all, all 10 of those pretty well. You can sit there and pl uh, play them out. And then uh, they'd give you 10 more songs and then 10 more songs and 10 more songs and 30 minutes or an hour a day. And then a month later, sometime later, uh, they would introduce the left hand. For a little while, we'd do just the left hand and set your right hand down. And then we would do both hands. And for a little while, you do this one. It's kind of a complicated little thing. I mean, complicated as we just did. And then this hand would be just like one note per measure. And we'd explain what all that means. And, uh, and then over time, we'd get where we'd move these hands around a little bit. We'd show you about the sharps and the flats. Up to this time, we'd just been playing on the white notes. You'd get where you moved your hands... Uh, around. You get where you cross your hands over and uh, learn about the pedal down, down here in 30 minutes or an hour a day and keep working on more and more complicated songs. And if you keep that up in about five years, you'll be able to play Amazing Grace. And you might say, well, that sounds like a hard way of learning to play Amazing Grace. And it, in fact, is not the hard way to play Amazing Grace. This is not the hard way to learn to play Amazing Grace. It is the only way to learn to play Amazing Grace. The hard way is to sit down at the piano and bite your lower lip and try really hard. 
Now let's apply that idea of training. That's what it means to train. Let's apply that to Christian living, okay? So let's say uh, the subject of prayer comes up. Part of what it means to be godly is we'll be a person of prayer. So uh, your pastor is going to uh, preach on Nehemiah. I'm going to guess first sermon on prayer, maybe. Okay, just a guess. All right, so, so pastor is going to preach a good sermon on prayer, and uh, you're going to hear about that, and you're gonna be, it's going to be a good sermon? He was hoping for an amen right there, so let's, get a, let's do a little better for your dear pastor, okay? You're going to hear a sermon on prayer next week. It's going to be a good sermon? All right, very good. So you're going to hear a good sermon on prayer. And so how are you going to feel when you leave next Sunday? All right, you're going to be fired up, right? You're going to be ready. Okay, man, I got it. You know, you, you've inspired me and showed me how and so, so on and so on. And so you go home and you try really hard to pray. To pray, to, to do better at prayer. You really do. You're sincere and you're, you're motivated and, and so on and you're equipped and you got some information and you're really motivated. But Wednesday, your grandkids come to visit. And so, yeah, who wants to get up early? I've stayed up late with my grandkids. And so after a few days, you sort of forget about it. And the result is it, it leaves you with this kind of living under a cloud of feeling mildly guilty that you ought to pray and you should have prayed and you better pray, but you're just not a very good prayer person. So then Sunday comes around again. And now uh, instead of doing that, what we want to talk about is how to train yourself to be godly. And this next Sunday, we're in Nehemiah 3 by now. I think it's Nehemiah 3. But is it Nehemiah 3? All right, this part of the wall, this part of the wall, this part of the wall. Okay, so we're going to get to Nehemiah 3, and your pastor's going to preach a sermon on service. Nehemiah 3 has to do with the idea that they actually built the wall at this point, and they got this family to build this section, and this family to build this section, and this family to build this section, this family to build this section. And if I was preaching, I'd say, you know what? The gospel is all about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth, that this world, God's purpose is that this whole world would become like heaven. And we need you to help. And there's a part for every one of you, according to your spiritual gifts and ability and experiences and so on, there's something for you to do. God has prepared an ahead of time, Ephesians 2.10, works for you to do. And so you're going to hear that sermon a couple of weeks from now, and you're going to be, it's going to be a good, I want an amen here. It's going to be a good sermon? All right, it's going to be a good one. So you go home and you're really fired up. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve my family and I'm going to serve my community. I'm going to serve my small group. I'm going to serve my Sunday school class. And I'm going to pick up trash when I walk, uh, go, go, go and take a walk. And I'm going to have an active, I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to volunteer at least one hour a week. All right, I'm really motivated about this. But by Wednesday, they're just stuff. There's work and there's kids and grandkids and, and, and I got stuff. And so I just sort of forgive it. And it just leaves me with this, this, I, I don't know what it is, but I just, I just don't, I don't think I'm, I can do this Christian living thing. It, it just seems hard to me. I just, I, I was supposed to pray and not praying that well. I'm supposed to serve and not serving that well. And instead of doing this, what I want to teach you is to train yourself to be godly. And if you are a Sunday school teacher, you want to include this kind of thing in your teaching pretty regularly, where you train others to be godly, not just telling them about the Bible stories and not even just telling them about what they ought to do. Some, some teachers don't even get as far as application, but we get to application and we just get to one application after another and you ought to, you ought to, you ought to, and it just, ah, oh, nobody's perfect. God understands. 
Uh, and uh, gratitude is another, another uh, example of this. We hear a sermon on gratitude, we go home and we try really hard, but after a few days we forget about it and it, it just gives us a kind of negative feeling about that. And uh, this is an especially important thing because the Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And the idea of the gates is like the outer perimeter. So what he's saying, to look at it a different way, if you just, instead of looking at it spatially and, and, and like, like that, you might think of it th this way. The beginning of a relationship with God is coming to be grateful. And then the next step is to actually worship him. And so it's a really important step. And to illustrate this, I want to show you a, a video that uh, il illustrates this point. So let's watch this. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many did you get? Say it out loud. The correct answer is How many did you got right? Let's see it right here. All right. Did you see the gorilla? This is the actual video you just saw, and it's just like this. This is just regular speed. There was the gorilla. And the reason you didn't see it is because you're concentrating on something else. And the, 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 the thing that I want that to, uh, I'm trying to illustrate from that is, People today are richer by a factor of about 10 times. We, we are richer than anybody who's ever lived. Um, you, you look at your grand, look at the home your grandparents lived in, the size of that home. On average, your house is two or three times that size. Uh, we're richer than mul the vast majority of the people on planet Earth. There are still today, uh, the number of desperately poor people in my lifetime, that is defined by people who live on less than a dollar and a quarter a day. That number has been cut in half in the last 20 years. Uh, we're doing really good about this worldwide, but there are still a billion people on planet Earth that live on less than a dollar and a quarter a day. You feeling rich? Did you get up this morning and feel rich? Did you get up this morning and say, man, I am so rich? No, I'll show you why here in just a second. Uh, we are healthier. We are uh, safer. A lot of times people, you know, think all these bad things happen and bad things do happen. But the truth be told, there are far fewer violent deaths per thousand people today than there have ever been in history. Far fewer deaths from war, far fewer deaths from uh, violence of any kind. We are far safer than any generation that has lived. We live longer by a factor of two or three times. Uh, my grandparents, for example, uh, had nine kids. Two of them did not start grade school. That was the normal thing for people in my grandparents' generation and in every generation that has ever lived up until my generation or my parents' generation. The normal thing for a normal couple throughout human history until my parents' generation was that you would lose a child. Still happens, sadly, every now and then. But it happens so seldom today that it's just shocking to us. It is just breathtakingly shocking to us. We live longer, we live healthier, we live richer, 
We leave better. See, back in the day, no matter, I don't care if you're the richest man in the world back in the day. If you wanted to get from where I live in Las Cruces, New Mexico to Nacogdoches, Texas, a hundred years, years ago, and it's just going to take a long time. Just, I, I just listened to a biography of Martin Luther, lived in the 5th, 15th century, I think that is. Uh, at any rate, you know, and he needed to get from here to there, and he walked. And uh, at one point, he had to get from Germany to, to, to Rome, and I don't remember how many miles, a thousand miles or some big number. He had to walk the whole way. And, 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 and no matter how rich you were back in the day, that's what you did. Uh, no matter how rich you were back in the day, you couldn't have air conditioning. How many of you would want to live in Nacogdoches, Texas, anytime before air conditioning? I mean, poor people have air conditioning now. Poor people have big screen TV. I remember seeing this homeless guy in his smartphone. And I thought, this is a great time to be poor. <laughs> you're poor, you're, you're, you're homeless, and yet you, you got an iPhone with a data plan. I mean, this is a good time to be poor. We live better, but yet statistics show that we are, we're less happy than any generation that, that, that we've been able to measure that. And the reason is what uh, psychologists call hedonistic adaptation. And that's just a high dollar word way, way of saying you get used to stuff. And so you get a new car and you're real excited about a new car. I got a new car, uh, a car three or four or five months ago and it's got, it's, I got the cheapest RAV4 they made, but it's got this feature. I didn't even know it was on the, I just bought it because it had high clearance. I'm into hiking these days. So I wanted to get out, be able to get out and go, go to the hills. And so I just, I said, I want the cheapest RAV you have. And so they, they sold me that. And after I got it, I realized it has this thing. The cheapest RAV has this thing called adaptive cruise control which means that if the car in front of you slows down, your car will slow down. And if the car in front of you stops, your car will stop. And if you turn it and move into the left lane to pass the car, your car will speed up. This is really cool. I thought it was really cool about three months ago. Now I get into a car that doesn't have that. And I think, what's up with this car? Because you get used to stuff, all right? And that's how life is. And God's mechanism of getting us over where we don't get used to stuff is gratitude. And uh, I was preaching on this uh, a, a few years ago and came up with a little activity that I did myself and encouraged my people to do. And that is before I go to bed tonight, I thought of 20 things that I'm grateful for into four different categories. So I think of five on this hand, five on this hand, five on this foot, and five on this foot. So five people, generally speaking, my life, five family members, excuse me, that'd be five, or excuse me, my four grandchildren and my wife, all right? Maybe be somebody else, but anyway, could, 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 could be those. And then I think of five other people, generally speaking, those would be people in my church. And then I think of five physical things. I think of my car and my air conditioning and so on and so on. And then I think of five spiritual things, the fact that God, his, his grace and heaven and so on and so on and so on. And so every night before I go to bed, I think about those 20 things. And psychologists have actually studied this and I found it to be true. In fact, let me just put it in the form of a question because I like questions. If you do that every night, uh, what do you think would be the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Anybody want to guess? What I'm grateful for, right? It, it, it's, it, you're not going to have to try really hard. You're not going to work. You don't have to remember you, it, it will be the automatic thought for you. And this came real clear to me uh, a, a, a couple of years back. Uh, I started playing tennis again. And I'm not a particularly competitive person, but there's, well, there's one guy I play tennis with and it just drives me crazy because he hits the ball all wrong. I don't play tennis all that well, but I do know how to play tennis. I was trained in high school, played high school tennis, and I've watched a lot of YouTube videos over the years. And so I, I know how a tennis ball is supposed to be hit. And I know that this guy is doing it all wrong. His grip is wrong. His feet are wrong. His body movement is wrong. Everything he does is wrong. 
But magically, he beats me, all right? And it just drives me crazy. One night I was beating him though. And uh, it's probably because we're playing doubles and my partner was better than his partner. And uh, so I was really getting fired up. And so he hit a ball cross court and I went to reach for it and it was a little beyond my reach. And so I fell on the hard court. And uh, there's a reason they call a hard court a hard court because it really is hard. And uh, at any rate, I got up, kind of dusted myself off and thought I thought I might could finish. But then I thought, you know, in the abundance of caution, I'm just going to call it a night. And so I went to the car and uh, dro- drove home. It was a, it's pretty stiff and sore and so on, but I was able to get home, able to get it into, in, into the house. And I uh, sat and watched a show, half an hour show, if I remember, with, with, with my wife. And I guess I only assumed something stiffened up uh, while I was sitting there still for half an hour. And because when I started to move, I mean, it just, just the, the, absolutely the most intense pain I've ever experienced in my life. In fact, I, I've never, uh, I don't know how much it hurts to have a baby, but I have never imagined that it hurt any worse than I felt when I tried to move. Give you some sense of the level of pain. Eventually, I'm going to make it to the hospital in the middle of the night. And uh, they gave me some morphine. The doctor came in to, uh, to examine me. And she says, I need you to roll over or something. So, I, so I, can, I, I said, I can't move. And she said to me, the amount of morphine we have given you, you should not be feeling anything right now. And I said, well, that may be true, but I'm telling you, I'm feeling a lot still. And uh, then they gave me the good stuff. And I don't know what that good stuff was, but next time I go to the hospital, we're going to start there. <laughs> and truth be told, I've never, th- there was nothing technically, if you will, wrong with me. I, I don't know what the deal was. But anyway, my, here's the part of the story I, 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 I want to I- emphasize. And that is, after I got to this midnight or one in the morning or something, after I got, first got to the hospital, I remember just noticing as I was sitting there, that the bed was tilted just about right. It just occurred to me as I was sitting there that, you know, if this bed were all the way laying down flat, that could be hard on my back. And then if it was like at a right angle, that, that could be hard on my back too. And it was just tilted about the right point. And, and then I, I happened to notice that the softness of the bed was just about right. And it occurred to me that if it was like a board, like hard, that that'd be pretty uncomfortable in my sore back. And then if it was super soft, that might be hard. And after I thought about those two things, thank you, Lord, for this bed being about right. And thank you, Lord, for the angle being about right. And thank you, Lord, for the softness being about right. Because I had trained myself, my mind immediately goes into this riff. Because I've just gotten in the habit of, Thank you, Lord, for this, and thank you, Lord, for this, and thank you, Lord, for this. And so I, my mind just automatically went to thinking, and, and Lord, thank you that I live in a world where we can just pick up the phone, call 911, and they come and get us and help us. Thank you there are smart people in this world, really smart people, people that I, I could study my whole life and never be, have the intelligence they have. But they, they, they're smart people, and they studied for a long time so they could figure out how to, how to help me in a time like this. Thank you for the expensive million-dollar machines they're, they're going to put me through here in, 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 in a minute. And they're just they're two miles from my house, and, and I th- thank you for that. Thank you for my wife that's with me dur- during this time. Thank you that we have insurance going to pay for a good, good, good part of this. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And in that hospital bed... That night, I had a little worship service. My point is, I didn't have that little worship service because I tried really hard. Or even because I was filled with the Spirit, necessarily. But because I had trained myself. 
because I had taken this slice of godliness, gratitude. I had come up with an action step. I had repeated that action step over and over for several months. And so that when my mind is trained to think, thank you, Lord, for this, I immediately think, thank you, Lord, for that. And my invitation to you is, if you will do that kind of, if you will live that way, a year from now, two years from now, Christian living is going to get easier. You, will, you can learn to do this, but you have to train yourself. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us how we can live this, this abundant life you called us to live. And Father, I pray that you would move, your Holy Spirit would move on each person here. Your word teaches that we cannot understand the word unless you open our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that you would open each one of our hearts to understand how you would have us to apply this biblical principle to our lives, to move us in the direction of gratitude, to move us in the direction of starting our day with our Bible in our lap, to move us in the direction of godliness in the power of the Holy Spirit. We offer this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.